I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody? This is another episode of Art Attack with your host, Lizzie Daston, art historian extraordinaire, and myself, Justin Bua. Bua Kasha, everybody. Imagine. What was that voice? And it was like the ultimate, <laughs> ultimate terrestrial radio voice. Now that we don't live in the terrestrial radio world and we live in the podcast world, welcome to this new generation. And I would also like to say that Lizzie and I love doing this show. Lizzie? We do. We love it. Okay. You can confirm that. Uh, we also work, I want to shout out my boy, Manny Danger. He's been my assistant for a long time. He does all of the editing and it's his ha- actually his track in the beginning of Art Attack. He's a drummer and a very talented drummer uh, and technician, uh, audio technician here. So thank you, Manny. Thank uh, you, Manny. We love you. Yes, we do. This is really a three-part show, not a two-part show. We're just in the we're just in the front holding the mics. We're basically run DMC and he's Jam Master J. I don't understand the reference. Oh my God. That <laughs> scares the by shit that. out of me. Okay. Uh, so also, guys, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening from because that is a show of love to us and we show the love to you guys because we are doing this for the love, by the love. With love, and it's just like this indelible love. That was a riff uh, off of your thing for the people, by the people, of the, of the yeah, people, yeah, other people, yeah. Which is a riff off the Constitution. But anyway, um, <laughs> today we're going to talk about artists as brands. Yeah, I'm excited about that. We have kind of skirted around this, talking about artists who consider themselves these hero worship celebrities. But I Mm -hmm. think that now we are kind of connecting that conceptual question to something tangible. And that tangibility is coming out as a brand. So who do you want to talk about first? Well, I want to talk about an artist that I don't necessarily love, uh, but I used to see it was kind of ubiquitous in the brand, the commodification capitalist brand world that I am not a stranger to myself, nor is any, nor are any of my contemporaries. But his name is Paul Frank, uh, Paul Frank Sunik. Uh, he's from uh, Huntington Beach, California, ironically, because I saw his work initially uh, in New York City at the Paul Frank stores, and he is an American cartoonist and a fashion designer, and he created a character that everybody knows called uh, Julius the Monkey. You know that character, Julius the Monkey? I do, of course, because I was a girl growing uh, up in the 90s. Okay, so did you you collect Julius the Monkey? Of course. I think that every self-respecting kid (laughs) at my school had a Julius the Monkey, either fanny pack or accessory case, Mm -hmm. but... It is, as you say, totally ubiquitous. And when you and I were talking about doing this show, I hadn't realized that he was a fine artist. I thought that he was a designer. Mm -hmm. Well, he was. And uh, he started kind of sewing with a sewing machine and doing fashion stuff. And eventually uh, he formed uh, Paul Frank Industries and his partners came in and then he broke up with his partners. And But what happened was is his work became... uh, commercialized and he basically had stores of merchandise so he had that obviously main character which was i guess his bart simpson of his brand 
And uh, everyone has that, right? That staple piece that rep- represents their brand. Shepard Ferry has Obey Giant. Slick has the two LA Disney kind, Disney-fied kind of graffiti hands. Estevan has that ph- photograph, which is kind of his LA photograph with the fingers, the cholo. Ron English has his characters with the exposed skeletons. Right. So it seems like everybody has that, and he had the monkey. And so I just noticed, like, whoa, that's trippy because... I realized that an artist can do multiples and do put their work or their character or their signature on things. You know, in the graffiti world, uh, one of the first brands was a company that my friend Isaac Rubenstein and Khalil Zulu Williams formed, which was called PNB Nation. And I remember in the 90s, they formed that. I believe they sold it to a Japanese company later on. Uh, but that was a brand of graffiti. So it was like Triple Five Soul was around back then, Mondorama, all these different brands. Hayes had a brand. So that was a different kind of thing. But what I'm talking about more are artists who kind of start to create a character, a look, a feel. And their work is not just enjoyable to put on the wall, but a brand is defined by the fact that you can take that image First of all, it's recognizable. And secondly, because it's recognizable, it it, it becomes kind of ubiquitous. It, Everywhere. It becomes omnipresent all over. And it's true. And it's interesting because brand comes from lots of different levels. And first of all, the artist has to have enough of a point of view to become a brand him or herself. And then the next level of that brand, I think, is the way that he or she visually expresses that message, that intention. So maybe that's on the streets, in a gallery, in a museum. Mm -hmm. And then the kind of branding that we're discussing is the commercialized aspect of that. So commercialized in a more mainstream way. Yeah, and this guy, Paul Frank, did it to where I thought, like, oh, that was cool. I wasn't into Julius the Monkey. I mean, like, obviously, I you know, I get it. It looks like Curious George to me. So it's a, it's slightly derivative. Um, and the but, colors are really poppy. The reason I was yeah, attracted poppy. to it is because everybody else had it. And so I think right. that it just has that look of something that is playful and whimsical and fun. It's like Sanrio. Yeah. But and, is his fine art similar in aesthetic to that? Well, or? he was a... I don't really know. I don't think that he was much of a fine artist. I think he was more of a fashion designer guy who then did, you know... Purses and pillows and guitar straps and, you know, image T-shirts all over. And it became a, like, I think at one point it became a $40 million a year empire, which is amazing. And then eventually I think Saban bought him. Like, so that's interesting. So the, like, I think the brand was acquired by another brand. Saban, they do the Transformers and all those. They have a lot of properties like that. I think they do the Trans, Power Rangers. That's what it is, right? Yeah, one of those, but Saban owns a lot of those properties. Uh, So I think they bought him up. But it's interesting, right? Here's a guy who's taking images, who's an artist, who's able to kind of expand. And uh, that's what everybody kind of wants to do as an artist. They Now, guys like Paul Frank, guys like Keith Haring, I mean, they made Keith Haring into a brand after he passed. I mean, he was a brand, but he became a different kind of brand when when he passed. Yeah, and Uniqlo, they must have made some kind of deal with the estate of Keith Haring, and they purchased his images, rights to that, and so every single season, there's a Keith Haring shirt and a Warhol and a Basquiat. Yep. And now is going to be a stamp, a, a U.S. stamp uh, as well, I believe. I'm not 
not sure. Anyway, uh, oh, maybe he's been a stamp. So I, yeah, like Keith Herring, they had the Keith Herring store, they had the Paul Frank store. So these people, you know, these artists actually take their their wares and goods and 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 designs and open up brick and mortar places. So but it's since, crazy. It is crazy. But since the Keith Herring example is posthumous, let's talk about artists who are consciously choosing to commercialize their aesthetic in a brand. Shepard Ferry, I think, is a great example. And you mentioned his Obey brand. The Obey platform began, I believe, in 1989, but I don't think the clothing came out until 2001. And so basically, he has parlayed his messaging and his psychological investigations of this interplay between image and text. And when we see an image with a word like obey, we automatically want to create some kind of story, a narrative as to why those two have been paired together. And so that is really a conceptual strain and approach to his art. So in 2001, he placed all of that messaging onto clothes. And it's always with the help of very powerful clients, uh, I believe, uh, partners rather, I believe his partners were were Asian, and they came in and you know put a lot of money, put a, pumped a lot of capital into into them. Uh, and his wife also is a very very smart, savvy business person. So I think let, when you're building a brand, uh, also you really have to have a partner who really knows. Oftentimes, the artist isn't the best business, you know, decision maker. Sometimes they are. But very rare when you get someone so creative who's, you know, who is also that influential in the business decision. So his wife is, is quite sharp. Another layer to the Obey brand is that it has taken such a pivot and become so popular on its own that often people don't know when they're wearing Obey clothing that it relates to Shepherd Fairy. And maybe often isn't quite the right word, but I remember I was at school a couple of months ago and I saw this student wearing an Obey shirt and I said, yeah, Shepherd Fairy. And he just looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, oh, you know, Shepherd Fairy is the artist behind that concept. And this person didn't know. They so, weren't obeying. But the point, but, <laughs> not at all. But, but that's fine. I mean, that's the reality. Most people aren't going to know the origin of source. And we're here to tell you that. If you're listening to our show, you're lucky because we're telling you the origins of species here. <laughs> so, but, we're, but what it is is that because it's a testament to how great the brand is because the brand transcends the artist. Okay, brand becomes more powerful than artist. There's a certain deification of a brand. There's a certain like this, it, it feels like this monotheistic God, right? The brand is out there. The brand is powerful. And usually you have iconic imagery of that brand, like with, you know, Disney, great signature, great Mickey Mouse silhouette, you know, Nike, great brand, you know? The swoosh, Nike de Sematros, which comes from the art, uh, the goddess Nike. Uh, so think about that. All these brands. So what the artist has done is said, hey, products can do that. I am a person who creates product. Therefore, let me make my product into a brand like those giant corporations do with stuff. Because ultimately, I make stuff too. And if you're not worried about the snooty poo-pooing of the fine art world who look down upon multiples oftentimes, 
then you should do it. Then it's a possibility. It's a great possibility. And it's cool because in our discussions, we've talked about how artists and the persona of the artist can often supersede the work that is produced. And so now I think we're taking that conversation to another level saying that the brand can supersede the artist. Absolutely. I think brand is more powerful. And I think that's why it's important when you have a brand to make uh, an image that represents your brand in a poignant way. Uh, I have my signature, my BUA signature that I've been signing forever that, that I trademarked. That's my brand. And also uh, my logo is the afro with the guy with the uh, pick and the profile. It's a character that I created that I feel really represents my era and my time, my world. So I created that as a figurehead of my brand. And I'm sure more people know my art than they do me. That's for sure. You know, so... Um, it's just really interesting because there's people doing it like everywhere. It's like everyone's trying to do it. And then there's people who are doing it successfully. Like Murakami is a great example. Murakami has become a brand. Murakami is a fine artist. He's able to dance between two worlds. The world of the fine art museum culture where people are paying premium to buy a Murakami. Murakami's at auction. Murakami sells for you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions and millions of dollars. Yet, He's able to do product without being looked down upon, without being frowned upon. And that's the same with Yayoi Kusama, the Japanese conceptual artist who does a lot of partnerships with Louis Vuitton, just like Murakami yeah, does. Yeah, just like Murakami. In fact, I would wonder if, and I don't know about this, I heard that Louis Vuitton bought his brand or, or is an investor in his brand. It's funny because like, these artists that are like this personal, I'm not going to be like out there in the world. I would never do anything. I will never sell out. It's really become 180 where a lot of artists are not only selling out, they've sold out. They have partners who are invested in them as artists because they are a brand. But I don't think that just the simple act of partnering with a corporation means that the person is selling out because Kusama, for instance, is not collapsing the character of her art or her identity at all when she works with Louis Vuitton. So she's known for her dots and dots have just overrun the naturalism of whatever it is that she's reproducing. So she'll do pumpkins that are just completely oversaturated with these dots and there's a lot of iconography within that symbol. Even when she did the infinity mirror room, all of those little lights, they're basically dots. Mm. So she is very consistent with her, these tropes. And when she worked with Louis Vuitton, that's exactly what happened. The bag was completely overrun with her dots too. So to me, that's not a sellout. It's just another platform for her aesthetic and design. Yeah, I'm not saying Michelangelo was selling out because he was paid, you know, trunks of gold by Pope Julius II or any artist throughout history. I have no problem with that. I'm, you know, I've just heard criticism on both sides. So uh, everybody's doing it. I mean, look at what Slick's doing. Slick's able to do uh, OG Slick, uh, very good artist, graffiti writer, uh, but he's a, he's a good artist, too. He's kind of cartoony, and he's got beautiful type typography with his letters and his designs, and his work's very clean. And he's really good to collaborate with, because when I've collaborated with him, he's been incredible uh, and very creative. He's got a creative mind. But he's able to now do his prints. 
you know, he's doing his, he was doing all kinds of stuff before, you know, everything. And now he's doing like, he was doing miniature sculptures, then became bigger, bigger, bigger. Now they're these huge, giant installations. I mean, he's just kind of gone to a whole other dimension. So he went from like multiples to now these giant fine art sculptures. So he's kind of taken his brand into directions where I feel like he's always expanding and contracting and then expanding and contracting depending on the marketplace. So he's able to really fit in, to see an avenue, to see a niche, and to walk down that path. Once again, his wife, very smart, very powerful, very business savvy. I think it's cool to talk about these contemporary examples of artists who have really just accepted and adopted this concept of the brand and use that as a way to elevate their own work. But I think it's also a value to talk about maybe some historical artists or artists from a few decades ago who so consciously and vehemently rejected this notion of the brand. And I'm thinking Mm. of Klaus Oldenburg, who was a pop artist working predominantly in New York in the 60s. And he would take commercial objects, so a toilet, for instance, Mm. and enlarge it and then create it out of a soft material. So a really just floppy, soft, flaccid latex. And he opened up something, a Klaus Oldenburg store. He called it a store. And he would simulate the effect of going into a commercial place. And everything was for sale, but it was this very cool collapse of a gallery and a commercial convenience store. And he would sell things that looked like they would be found in the latter. However, everything was handmade, suggesting that it was a part of the former. And so it was just very interesting commenting completely head on on this notion of branding your aesthetic. Hmm. Well, he didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So I, I think it's fair to say that uh, many artists today... Ron English, OG Slick, Shepard Ferry, Murakami, myself in uh, many respects. Many, many other artists are out there, and many artists are actually looking to become a brand. And sometimes artists are not looking to become a brand and become a brand just by virtue of the fact that they do commercial work or people start recognizing their name or they do something that's incredibly iconic. I mean, wouldn't you argue that some of these graph writers who who put symbols up out everywhere are brands unto themselves? I would, but I think that inherent to the concept of a brand is a product that's being sold. I think that when we think of an, a person, a professional, an artist, a historian, whoever we're looking at, that person is a brand, but that's more of an energetic, this is who I am, this is what I represent – But when that brand is talked about within this commercialized world, I think something, there has to be a product. So graffiti writers, they have a branded identity, but they don't have the merchandise. So They want to, though. Maybe. Well, many friends of mine have definitely wanted to and tried. And it's a very hard thing to do successfully. Uh, I think it's that's the other side of it is everyone can't necessarily become a brand because they just want to become a brand. It's one of those things that it takes a tremendous amount of dedication, hard work, determination, and a good, good team of people. Regardless, you know what I mean. A good, a good man behind a woman. 
<laughs> but you, it really does. It takes a tremendous amount of energy and work, and you know you have to always be fresh and come up with fresh stuff. So, you know, you look at Ron English's career, OG Slick's career, Shepard Ferry's career, Murakami's career, the people that we referenced during the show, and certainly the the people of the Paul Frank, Keith Haring days. You know, the, these people work their asses off. You know, and it, and when you do mix with the corporate world, you know there is also a certain amount of soul crushing that I think you have to deal with. Well, you just I ha- have to. And I'm sure that is a reality that is true most of the time, but I hope that brands have an increased awareness in what the artist is doing and will partner with them thoughtfully and maybe say, well, what you're doing is so aligned with what we want to do. And so we'll give you a little bit more freedom without creating these parameters that will affect and manipulate your aesthetic. As long as they're getting their money's worth and pushing their own brand, they'll do that. But otherwise they won't. And, you know, I think that, you know, the unfortunate reality is now that we have, you know, we all work with brands as artists. You know what I mean? Like I did a Callaway uh, piece for Phil Mickelson. And, you know, I did an Adidas campaign. I did, you know, I've already this year, I've done, I've worked with a bunch of brands who are certainly bigger in terms of, you know, money <laughs> uh, worth than than I am, but we all work with brands, and I think that that's a good point. Which is, if brands are working with artists, hopefully they could do it as tastefully as possible. And that doesn't mean that there's a close set because no everybody wants to see what they're getting. But it's nice to think that idealistically it would be a close set of allowing the artist to to visually self discover. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so we're kind of talking about branding from a multitude of perspectives because what you're just saying is artists collaborating with brands. And then the examples of Shepard Fairey or maybe even OG Slick, that's an artist as a brand. Absolutely. So that's it on brands. There's too much to talk about. We can go on all all day, but we're going to go on with our day. Actually, because there's life outside of this branding conversation. What? I know, it's crazy. All right, everybody. Peace.